Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, the Arizona Cardinals just threw a big wrench in this draft thing, in my opinion. Maybe not big, but it's certainly not something we expected. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch is off today. My good friend Eric Ruby is here. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. It's a little un... Expected. Should we hit the people with the with the big news? So the Arizona Cardinals just did something that I did not expect in the fourth round. This is one of the picks that Monty Awesomefort acquired yesterday when they moved back. Uh, one of the several times. Yeah, that he's been wheeling back. and dealing. That's a very Patriots thing to do, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, wonder where he came from. So with this fourth round pick that they have, they just acquired Clayton Toon. I wouldn't knock you if you didn't know who that is. He's the quarterback out of Houston. A quarterback. Not corner. The guy who throws the ball. Yeah. Not exactly a position that I expected the Cardinals to be going after in this draft. I would definitely call myself surprised when we were out there right before we came inside here. It was like, oh, okay, the Cardinals are going to pick. Who are they going to pick? It's like, did, did they just take a quarterback? And I could hear all the tweets simultaneously hitting the timeline of, oh, this is the Kyler replacement. No, this is not the Kyler replacement. No, that's not how I view it at You all. can't view it. I mean... It's the hundred. It's the it's a, the ninth overall quarterback in the draft. You're not drafting this guy to replace Kyler Murray. You're going to draft him to probably replace Colt McCoy, who maybe has one year left of football in that body. But you know that you can't be trotting him out there. But I also don't know if Clayton Tunes the guy who should be starting week one. So now you have this kind of decision between is Colt going to be healthy and ready to play? Am I going to go with one of the other backups who I've also signed in Jeff Driscoll or David Blau? Or now am I going to go with the rookie quarterback, Clayton Toon? Yeah. So Kyler Murray, we still don't know how many games he'll miss during this season. It could be a handful. It could be half the season. It could be more than half the season. We just don't know yet. Uh, Colt McCoy, to your point, I don't know how deep into the future he runs as a Cardinal quarterback. I like him as a backup. He's been more than serviceable at times, but he had a minor procedure in the offseason as well. I don't know what his timetable is. I don't know if he's expected to start week one. You mentioned David Blau and Jeff Driscoll, who have both had time with different teams at the uh, NFL level. And now you have your fourth round pick, Clayton Toon. I tend to believe that a fourth round pick probably makes the team. You would assume they're not going to get cut. Right. Usually. Especially when there was still like positions that you could have addressed. Now, we can go through all the Cardinals picks, which we should, and they've addressed. And we will. <laughs> they, they've addressed a lot of big positions. Quarterback, not on anybody's list, but you can see, obviously, behind Kyler Murray, who's already injured, and you don't know how long he's going to miss into next season, there is a need for a clear number two. Is Clayton Toon the clear number two as of today? Not a chance. But does he have the the opportunity to? And does he have a higher ceiling than anybody else who's behind Kyler Murray? Yeah. What do I know about Clayton Toon? Not much. But I can read you some stats off of uh, Pro Football Focus. He, uh, Did you say he was a four-year starter at Houston? Yeah, four-year starter. So I'm looking at the last three seasons. That's what they track. Uh, he had a rating over 84 in Pro Football Focus terms. That's pretty darn good. Uh, in all three of his seasons. Last year, 2022, a 92 overall grade by PFF. Uh, he completed 67% of his passes, which is really good. He had over 4,000 passing yards, 40 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions for a rating of 110.7. Those are all really, really good. Now, granted, when you play for Houston, 
the teams that you play against are UTSA and Rice and Tulane and a couple others that aren't the big, exactly the big, the big dogs. Yeah. No, no. But this is a guy who had a lot of success at the level that he was playing at. Yeah, and if you just want a couple more details on him and then we'll move on from the fifth-round quarterback – Big-time pocket passer. One of the descriptions here on ESPN says his feet are married to his eyes. This is a guy that's almost the antithesis of what Kyler Murray is as a quarterback, which is what you also saw in Colt McCoy. So there could just be a a balance here, especially even even if you're in practice and you're going up against, you know, okay, we have to simulate so-and-so's offense. Okay, now we have a pocket passer who can do it. And you have somebody who's a little bit more mobile. But let's move up to, let's start with, obviously, the first pick in the first round. They started at three. They traded back to 12. Then they trade back up to six. Monty Austinfort doing a lot of wheeling and dealing to end up with Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State, the offensive lineman. 6'6", 313 pounds. You've watched a lot of him play, haven't you? Yeah, admittedly, I'm a Buckeye fan. I grew up in Ohio, so I watch a lot of their games. Maybe not every single game, but I've probably seen most of them. Here's the thing that makes Paris Johnson a pretty good fit for the Cardinals. There's no apparent hole on the offensive line. There's a couple of holes, but there's no apparent one that he immediately slides into. Mm -hmm. You already have a left tackle in DJ Humphreys. For now. Who I estimate is probably in, if if you divided the NFL left tackles into tiers, like three of them, Mm -hmm. I think he's in the middle one. I don't think he's one of the best tackles in the league. I don't think he's one of the worst tackles in the league. I think Mm -hmm. he's right there in the middle, which is fine. On this offensive line, that probably makes him one of the best linemen you have. Uh, So if there's no immediate hole at left tackle, where does Paris Johnson Jr. fit? Fortunately, when he went to Ohio State, he was the number two ranked offensive tackle in the country. He was the number 10 overall player. This is a guy who's five star among five stars. And he goes to Ohio State and they say, you're not good enough to play on our line yet. Wow. Talk about humbling to a guy who probably could have slid in at left tackle for any team in the country that's not, you know, super the top power five. five. Yeah. And so he has to sit a year, played sporadically at a couple different positions, but not much. Sophomore year. Okay. Now's my time to be the left tackle. Nope. They didn't have an opening at left tackle, but they had an opening at right guard. So he willingly slid over to play the position and played it pretty damn well. Then finally his junior year comes and there's an opening at left tackle. And he not only plays the position, but he becomes the top left tackle in college football. He only has one season at left tackle. But that might not be the position that the Cardinals ask him to play anyway. That's what I think makes him an interesting fit. And he told our own Tyler Drake, like, hey, I don't need to just slide into one position. What I ask for the Cardinals is the ability to put me anywhere. You know, I've never snapped before, but if they teach me, I will snap for the Cardinals because I just want to be part of this five. You know, so it's a guard, tackle, and I have a future six, seven center. We'll see if that's what they want to do. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to ball out, and I, I just want to put hard for the, for the guys that are already in there. You know what I mean? So what I'm getting from what you're saying and from that is that he's not an ego guy. He's not going to walk in there and say, I was the number six pick in the draft, the highest taken offensive lineman. I deserve to be put in this spot, especially because you do have DJ Humphreys at left tackle. And by the end of the season, he might not be healthy. He might. But right now he's dealing with a back injury. Those things linger, especially for players that aren't super fresh in the league. You've got Kelvin Beecham on the other side, who was great, a stalwart last year, played, started every single game. But 
He's a little bit on the older side. And then you have interchangeable pieces all along the line as well to where you could see him get playing time really anywhere. And while that might be a little bit tough at first, there will be a learning curve even for the number six overall pick. He'll probably get cooked every once in a while just because that's the way it is when you get in the NFL and you're moving around on the line. But you look a couple years down the line like you might have done at Ohio State as well, and that could lead to getting the best out of him when he finally falls into the position that you want him at long term, which I think we would all assume is left tackle as of right now. Like that's the end goal if you're going to draft an offensive lineman at the number six overall pick. But he can play anywhere beforehand. And offensive line, you kind of need him to play anywhere because you've got Hump, you got Beach. Everybody else is kind of interchangeable. Yeah, you've still got Will Hernandez who could play right guard. You've got Josh Jones probably slides in at left guard if I had to guess. The apparent hole is at center, which he kind of addressed there saying, I'll do the snapping if you want me to. I don't know that that's the best idea. To stick a, a guard, a, I don't a think the Cardinals are wanting him to do that. No. I, I don't know either. He also said he would play free safety if he needed to, but I'm, I'm guessing that's probably we'll not going to pop up. <laughs> uh, but they might need a safety now that I think about it. Um, later on in uh, round two, they had the second pick in round two. They ended up moving back after the Steelers took Joey Porter Jr. with the first pick in that second round. I do wonder if that would have changed their game plan if Joey Porter had been there. That's the player I know Gambo wanted. That's the player I wanted. Watching a lot of Big Ten games last year, I saw a lot of Joey Porter Jr. He easily could have gone in the first round. Easily. And I wanted him uh, as a Cardinal, admittedly, with that pick, but he wasn't available because he got picked by the Steelers. I do wonder if they don't decide to trade back if he's there. We'll never know the answer to that, I don't think. Right, especially because the trade didn't happen until they were on the clock. They trade back with Tennessee to the 41 pick. They get a couple later picks in this draft and a future 2024 third, which I think is big as well. They get B.J. Ojulari out of LSU. This guy is really interesting. We were watching some highlights of him beforehand, and he is quick. And he's somebody that is always making the play. He's always there, whether he's the sole person there or he's teaming up with somebody else on his defense. He gets past people. He has good fundamentals. And he makes the tackle. And that is somebody you need. He's a little bit undersized, 6'2", 248, but he could fit... Cardinals fans, I'd say cover one ear, open the other so you can listen because it could be a positive, it could be a negative. He imitates a little bit of a Hassan Reddick type. Undersized, but could be hell coming off of the edge, coming off of the inside. He can line up a little bit of anywhere as well. And he just has a nose for the football. Yeah, in watching what I've seen, and this is why I hate these conversations this time of year, because what do I know about B.J. Ojulari? I know that I've watched a couple of highlight reels, and those are just the good Plays, You know, I don't get to watch all of the plays right away. So take it with a grain of salt. But what I notice on tape is that while he's not necessarily the guy piling up sack after sack after sack, he's around the football a lot. And he's actually, uh, upon watching the highlights, the number one thing that stands out to me is he's not usually the first point of contact. He's not usually the first guy to create the pressure. But Playing on a team like LSU, when you have other good interior linemen, other good pass rushers, they create the pressure. He's going to finish that play. He's always around the ball. He tackles high, which can be good for leading to fumbles. He He's very good at getting his arms up. Uh, I think his pursuit is excellent. I watched several plays where uh, it's a mobile quarterback. I mean, heck, he played against Anthony Richardson and other guys in the SEC. 
he's very good at adapting to the run game as well. So I'm excited to see what they get out of out of this particular edge rusher. I think we read he was like second in pressures in the SEC behind only Will Anderson. Yeah, he had five less pressures this past season than Will Anderson. And then the rest of the Cardinals picks, real quickly, just to tell you who they got in the third round, the ninth pick in the third round, they drafted Garrett Williams out of Syracuse. He is also recovering from an ACL injury that took him out of the season in October. He has a recovery date of about July, so he could be healthy by the start of the season. Not sure if you're going to see him out there immediately, but he does address the position of need in corner. Then they get a wide receiver, Michael Wilson out of Stanford. ASU fans might be familiar with him, although he was also injured in this past season, but he... He's got some flashes. He can catch at a high point. And if you squint, you can see a couple fundamentals that emulate a little bit of DeAndre Hopkins style oh, of receiving. No. You no, didn't no, no. just go he's, there. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He'll, <laughs> I, I won't say he'll never be it, but it's pretty high bar to raise. But he catches the ball up top. He uses his hands. He likes to change direction, but he doesn't have the quickest moves. So he'll catch the ball. He'll be coming in three guys, all of pressure on him. He'll take the right track. He'll slightly move. He'll spin a little bit and he'll get out of the traffic. And that's what DeAndre Hopkins does. He's not Hopkins. But the way he plays receivers a little bit similar. And then they take John Gaines out of UCLA. Another Pac-12 guy. He, uh, He's versatile. He's versatile. He, he plays guard, mostly right guard, but he's played a little bit of center. He started at four positions for UCLA. Probably a backup plug-and-play guy if everything goes right. So they took a quarterback in the fifth round, right guard in the fourth round, receiver in the fourth round as well. Michael Wilson, a cornerback. Sorry, Garrett Wilson, Williams, a cornerback out of Syracuse in the third round. Ojolari in the second, and of course, Paris Johnson Jr. in the first. Yeah, Clayton Toon, I I think I said earlier fourth round. He was the fourth pick in the fifth round, so I think I got that confused. But yeah, once you get to the fourth, fifth round, these are guys that like you just kind of hope that they hit on them. And if they don't turn out, it's not the end of the world, but very interesting that the Cardinals decided to go quarterback at some point in this draft. All right, coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday, we'll tell you why this is the most interesting series that the Suns have played since their run in the COVID bubble. That's next. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch is out today. Eric Ruby in for him. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Uh, we're going to keep you uh, up to speed on everything that the Cardinals are doing in the draft. We are currently, are we still in the, no, we're in the fifth round now. Uh, but the Cardinals don't pick for at least a little while. We'll keep you uh, up to speed on all of that. But we do want to talk about the important, uh, the important game, the important series that starts today. Game one, the Suns in Denver against the Nuggets, the team that was atop the Western Conference basically the entire year from start to finish. I think this is probably the most interesting series that the Suns have played since the COVID bubble. Probably not the most important. I think you would still give that to the Bucks series in the NBA Finals, a championship on the line. I think that deserves to be recognized as the most important. But the reason I think this is the most interesting, Eric, is because this is the first chance for the Suns to eliminate a team that is actually fully healthy. Now, when I say fully healthy, no, no player is fully healthy at this point in the right. year. But the team is at least as constructed, they will have all their players available to them. Because if you look back at the success of the last couple of playoff runs, you eliminated two years ago, uh, you eliminated a team in the Lakers that lost Anthony Davis halfway through the series. Then you eliminate the Nuggets, Sands, Jamal Murray. Then you eliminate the Clippers, Sands, Kawhi Leonard. You could argue that that entire, every series they've played in that run, 
was hampered by the fact that the opposing team wasn't at full strength. You could say the same last year about the Pelicans, too. And so that's it's an argument that I'm sure Suns fans are just absolutely sick of hearing as well, because that almost every single championship that's ever been won in NBA history, that team runs into what people will consider lucky opponents. Somebody gets injured. They're not at full strength, whatever. That always happens when you you never play four rounds of intense competition of fully healthy basketball. That doesn't happen. But you can agree that it also makes this series more interesting. You could argue that this is going to be the hardest team that they have to face for the rest of the playoffs if they beat them. You could argue that whoever comes out of the East with Milwaukee being eliminated, the Celtics getting taken to six by the Hawks. I mean, you don't know who's coming out of the East. Denver's been the best of the West for this entire season. They have a two-time MVP in Nikola Jokic. They have a deeper bench than the Suns. And they do have not the star power on the level of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, but Jokic is up there. And then you got a couple guys in the tier below, like Jamal Murray, and even an Aaron Gordon, who might not be putting up crazy stats and numbers, but is the type of guy that in playoffs with his defensive versatility and his ability to dive and just play harder than somebody can really change a series. This is not the Denver team of two years ago. This is not any other team that you're going to be facing this playoffs. This could be your hardest test, and it's in the second round. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. And to your point, you can only play the team that you're presented with, right? It's not like the Suns chose to face the Lakers without Anthony Davis from Game 3 on. It's not like they chose to face the Pelicans without Zion or chose to face the Clippers without Kawhi and Paul George this time around. But that's what they were given. That's the hand they were dealt. They dealt with it the way that they did. Uh, But this is the first chance to eliminate a team at full strength with their entire roster put together. Going matchup by matchup, it's interesting because I don't know that the Suns have faced a center as good and as devastating as Jokic can be. Unless you're playing him, you're not going to. That he's on a completely different level. You can look at Joel Embiid. You can argue That's who's the most a, comparable. You can argue who's a better player, but as far as style of play, there's not a single human being on the planet that can do what Nikola Jokic does. I went to the Suns Sixers game. Gosh, that was a couple months ago at this point. And my biggest takeaway is you can't really grade on that curve because they didn't have Harden in that game. This is different. This is Jokic with Murray. Because you faced Jokic before. I mean, they went 4-0 against the Nuggets two years ago in the playoffs. Right. This is a whole other ballgame. Completely different, especially when in that series you could put all your defensive attention on Nikola Jokic because that's what you had to do. And DeAndre Ayton stepped to the plate beautifully in that series as well. And that's what a lot of people are waiting to see. That one-on-one, Jokic and Ayton, has been not only the talk of local media, but it's been the talk of national media as well. It's a storyline that people gravitate to. But it's the other matchups that truly fascinate me. Yes, you got to go against Nikola Jokic. You got to give him your best. You have to shut him down in a sense, maybe not let him get 40-point triple doubles every single night. Yeah, Ayton against Denver. Here's the numbers that I've got. He scored in that series 14 points per game, 10 rebounds, almost 11 rebounds per game, including two offensive boards per game. But it was the defense. It was the defense and locking up Jokic that really sold it. And as for can he replicate, I don't know. And, And Jokic has evolved quite a bit in two years as well. I realize he's probably not going to win MVP this year, but he's won it the last two seasons. That's the kind of player that normally, if you stop that guy, you're probably going to win the series. And I do wonder, too, and, and we're going to go out to Denver live here in a little bit, talk with Kellen Olsen uh, 
for from Arizona sports. And then we're also going to talk to the Denver side a little bit later in the show. I do wonder when Denver looks at the Suns, who do they worry about most? Do they worry more about Booker and the way that he played in the Clippers series, or do they worry more about Durant and certainly what they know he's capable of doing? And now I got a big smile on my face because as big of a deal as Nikola Jokic is, you've got Kevin Durant and Devin Booker on the other side of it. And you want to know what the problem is, Steve? You got to look at both of them like they're number ones. And that's what the Clippers had to do. And that's why Devin Booker had a historic playoff series. Now you go up against the Nuggets. You got your guy to guard Kevin Durant. His name is Aaron Gordon. He can probably do as good of a job as anybody, but at the same time, hey, it's Kevin Durant. He's going to get tough, isolated buckets in the playoffs every single game. It's what he does. It's why you traded for him. Who on earth is guarding Devin Booker? Contavious Caldwell-Pope? Cool. We'll hunt for a switch, right? Okay, we're the Suns. We're going down the court. You got Booker and you got Durant in a pick and roll. You're going to switch? Who are you going to pick up? It doesn't matter if Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Aaron Gordon are there. These guys are the type of guys that could take over series. And then sitting on the wings, you got Chris Paul. And you might see Josh Okoge a lot more this series as well. So I'm looking at Durant and Booker. You can't choose which one that you're going to guard the most. You kind of have to say, we're going to throw our all at those two guys and hope that the other three on the court can't beat us. It's such an awesome matchup because I do believe Denver was the most consistent team all season long. Uh, They were relatively healthy for the majority of the year. They're hitting their stride. Denver's in as good of a catbird seat as they can possibly be in. The Suns, while I, I still think they had a pretty good record, they end up with the four seed, right? That's pretty good. But when you consider the massive shifts that they had mid year trading for Kevin Durant, losing key pieces like Mikel Bridges and and Cam Johnson, the injuries, the amount of time that D.A. missed or Booker missed or Durant even missed after the trade. Uh, It's significant. They haven't had a lot of time to get into stride. But this team is 12-1 and with Kevin Durant. So if you're the Nuggets and, and the Nuggets fan base and you're looking at the Phoenix Suns, I just wonder how they feel about them because while Denver was much better than the Suns in the regular season, I think that that playing field has evened pretty significantly since they hit their stride with Durant. You can argue you've seen the Nuggets play their best basketball already this season because they peaked at a point where they've kind of gone down since then and they've been fluctuating a lot. And yes, they won round one in five games, but they had a lot of low moments as well. I can very confidently say we have not seen the Suns play their best basketball together as a team yet. And like you said, they're 12 and 1 with Durant and Booker. Right. And so pretty good start. <laughs> and, and five of those games being in the playoffs and as much as you want to poo-poo on the Clippers not having Kawhi or Paul George, what you see in the playoffs is that sometimes it's more about the adjustments and the coaching than it even is about the talent level. Look last night in Warriors Kings. Sabonis is off the court. The Warriors have an entire game plan around him, and they know how to shut him down. Even though Sabonis is a better player than whoever's going to come in and replace him in Alex Len or in Trey Lyles, you don't have the counter for that because you're not used to playing that way. So playing a team like the Clippers, who throw all these different looks at you and are incredibly well-coached, maybe they didn't have their stars. It does not mean that that series, one, didn't challenge the Suns, and two, help them in the long term. Because you weren't necessarily threatened, but you were certainly pushed. Pushed to a point where you had to get better and maybe sharper than you would have 
if you faced a, an easy walkthrough in the first round. Yeah, and that goes both ways, right? The diversity makes you better as a team, but also you start to wonder, are, why are we struggling with a team that's missing its two best players? But it's the it's the playoffs. That's the thing is it's it's not a simple, okay, regular season game, this person's missing so-so. And you see it in, in the NBA every single day in the load management era. You'll go into a game and say, Who's Jonathan Williams who's starting for the Trailblazers? That's a real person, by the way. I didn't make that up. That's Interesting. A re- that's a real person who's starting for the Trailblazers. They can still go out and get a win because that's just the talent level in the NBA. So they took care of business. They won in five games. It was a gentleman's sweep. They did what they had to do against a team that was lesser than them, and they got challenged. That, to me, seems like a win-win. I think the Clippers also probably deserved a little bit more credit than we gave them Absolutely. Uh, all along. All right, coming up next, we'll go live out to Denver in preparation for Game 1 this afternoon. Suns versus Nuggets. We'll talk with our uh, Suns guru at Arizona Sports. Kellen Olson joins us next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, we gave Mitch the day off. Uh, Eric Ruby is in for him. Steve Zinsmeister here with you as well on Arizona Sports Saturday. Game one, Suns versus Nuggets in Denver. That starts today. And our Suns guru for Arizona Sports, Kellen Olson, joins us live from Denver. Hello, Kellen. How are you? Hey, guys. Doing well. How is Denver? Is it is it cold there? Yeah, it's cold for us, which is great <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's it's always alarming when you exit the airport and it just feels like you're in a completely different world. And I think it was like it's been like 50, 60 degrees, which I'm not complaining. It's it's awesome. It's one of the rare places where I, I, I spent part of my childhood in Colorado Springs and I spent a lot of time in Denver as well. It's one of the rare places where you have to adjust to the actual environment before you're able to do some sort of significant uh, exertion of energy. How have the suns been acclimating to their environment so far? Yeah, they've been acclimating well. Uh, They got here probably a day earlier than expected, which is good news for them, and there's a reason why they got here a day earlier. No one ever, I think, comes in here and underestimates the effect of altitude. Uh, But at the same time, the Suns didn't really have a problem with it two years ago, and that was under similar coaching staff. There's a couple of returning players, and I, I think that around playoff time especially is when the altitude doesn't really become much of a factor because you're playing a series, you're you're getting more used to it. It's those second games of a back-to-back when you go from playing in L.A. to playing in Denver on that second night. But those are the times when it really hurts you in, in this setting. But from, from this viewpoint, I think they're fine and they're acclimating fine. A lot of people for this series, Kellen, are looking at DeAndre Ayton and Nikola Jokic or Devin Booker and Jamal Murray. But if we take a more niche look and maybe towards the bench, who on the Suns are you looking at as an X factor in the sense they could break out and they hadn't before? I think that it's Damian Lee because we've been at this position now with Landry Shamit where the appeal in his game is very clear and it's very obvious what he's supposed to bring. Just being someone who can bring a little bit of ball handling, he's a really good shooter, and then he can defend. He can defend on the ball as well. And, and that was part of the reason why the Suns gave him that contract extension right away. But for the most part here over these two years, he has um, not only been unable to make a consistent impact, but he's struggled uh, more often than not. And then in that Clipper series, it felt like after Damian Lee played well in L.A. in games three and four and then overtook Shamit for those minutes in the second half that we were going to see him a lot more in game five. But Shamit, again, was one of the first guys to come in in game five. So it's my way of answering Landry Shamit, but saying someone else, and that someone else very well could be campaign. 
in this series as well, but something to keep an eye on with Denver specifically is that they don't necessarily play a traditional point guard off the bench. They do have Reggie Jackson, but he didn't play for them last series. They have Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, and Jeff Green that they bring off of the bench. So someone like Payne, who's a bit smaller, might not make the cut necessarily. And it could be, again, why we see Shamit just because of the size that he has at 6'5 and being able to defend a bit. But I do think that Damian Lee, you're at, at a certain point, you've got to look past uh, adjusting for the opponent and just looking at maximizing what you do as a team. And, like, yes, Damian Lee is the worst defender of the two, but having that type of shooter out there, one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year, out there with Durant or Booker or Paul or Aiden is a huge benefit for them, and I think that they should look to play him more, and I'm interested to see if they do. Are you worried about the rotation still? I'm not worried about it. Just I'm, I, I would say that it's something that should be solved by now. It should just have a core eight, nine, ten guys, and I understand – the benefit that the Suns have in terms of all of these guys that are around the same kind of caliber and being able to choose between three or four of them right now. And and that's proven to be difficult, but you look at Denver, this is like the wrong series for it to be happening just because Denver has their three guys and and they'll mix in DeAndre Jordan very sporadically. They'll mix in Reggie Jackson very sporadically. Perhaps this is a, this is like a different kind of series where we see one of those two guys more often, but I, I don't think it's as much of a problem as much as it is an advantage for Denver in the series. We're talking with Kellen Olson, our son's guru for Arizona sports. And Kellen, uh, when you play a team that has one player like Jokic, who is clearly far and away their best player, he's a two-time MVP, uh, when you play a guy of that caliber, is it as simple as if you shut him down, you win the series? Is it that easy? I don't think it's that easy because you think about shutting someone down and you think about double teams, but you should not double Jokic. The best way to beat Jokic is to let him score and and not let him score, of course, but let him beat you as a scorer. Because if you double him or if you put him in situations where he can beat you as a passer, he's going to make it every time. And what Denver has been able to do over the last two years and the biggest difference between this series and the one two years ago is the supporting cast that he has around him. He has Jamal Murray. He has Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's a really good three-point shooter. Michael Porter Jr., we know what he is. Aaron Gordon was looking like an all-star heading into the all-star break. And then those guys I mentioned off the bench have been very capable as well. There's really no one that there's going to be guys you want to play out more than others, but if you put Jokic in a passing situation, he's going to pass to someone who's going to be able to make a play in that position to beat you. So I, I do think it does come down to that, but at the same time, they do have a capable supporting cast, and I think that on any given night, Murray, Porter, or Gordon can be a good enough number two for them to win this series. I think that the gap just speaks to more so how Jokic is one of the five best players on the, in the world right now, and that the Nuggets don't really have a clear-cut all-star at this time, but that is Jamal Murray in the playoffs, and I think that what he's shown for being an elite playoff performer so far is going to come to fruition in this series again, and the Suns have to be ready for it. As great as Jokic is, there's a lot of questions about him on the defensive end. Do you think that's something the Suns will be able to exploit even though they don't drive to the paint as much as other teams? I, I think so. Jokic is a solid defender. I think that that's the... The, the trouble with him is that you he's not a bad defender, but he's just not a good defender either. And typically how Denver plays with him in ball screen situations is that they have Jokic come to the level of the screen, meaning he's going to cut off the ball handler and force them to go somewhere else, and then they'll rotate on the back end from there. Uh, the, the problem is Denver tried to do that a lot two years ago, and it did not go well for them. The rotations were not sound enough, and then more so. Jokic recovering back in those situations. He got caught in some spaces, and then it just wore him out as well. 
So I'm curious to see if they try that a bit more in this series. But the, the bottom line is that their ball screen offense is, is a ball screen offense, and DeAndre is the one setting the screen. So Jokic is going to be put to work regardless. If there's anyone for them to target, it's going to be Michael Porter Jr. again. He has improved. Like he was, he was a horrible defender two years ago, and now he is. I don't want to say serviceable, but he's like respectably below average now. But that's still not good enough. And, and Chris Paul and Booker, especially, are going to look to pick on him as much as possible. I think that KD being using him as a screener more is going to be something that they look into as well to exploit Porter. And I think that it's going to be more about who else they attack as, as opposed to Jokic. Our Suns guru, Kellen Olsen, is live from Denver leading up to game one of this important series, the second round, Suns versus Nuggets. Uh, This would be the first time that the Suns get to prove that they can do it while their opponent is at full strength since really the COVID bubble. We we talk about two years ago, they played a lot of these same teams, the Clippers without Kawhi and Paul George. They played the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. They played the Lakers without Anthony Davis for part of the series. Uh, Last year, Zion not on the Pelicans. This year, Kawhi and Paul George again not on the Clippers. Is this a narrative that the Suns players and coaching staff that they are aware of that they talk about? Uh, I don't think they care. I, I don't think they care at all. I'm not one to go into the head, try to try and go into the heads of the players and the coaches and, and, and describe how I think that they're feeling. I, I get that I'm around them a lot, but at the same time, I, I think that's kind of irresponsible just to try and picture exactly what they're thinking. But from what they've told us and, and the little that it's come up, like it's it's not what they're focused on. They're not focused on any sort of one of the bigger one of the, the bigger narrative coming into this series is just how easy it was for the Suns to beat this team two years ago and how this could be a revenge series of sorts for Denver. And Monty was asked about that yesterday, and he was just, like, taken aback by such a narrative-based question and was just like, like that's not what we focus on around here at all, like nothing like that at all. Uh, there are times that they're aware of things like this that are being talked about all the time leading up to a game or, or a series, but I don't think that this is one of them specifically. In round one, we saw Devin Booker take the series by the reins. And not that Kevin Durant wasn't making his impact known. He was almost averaging 30 very casually, but it was Devin Booker's show to run. Do you see that being the case for the entire playoffs? Or are teams going to make a switch that maybe KD becomes, in essence, the Batman to the Robin at that point? I just think that it's the way that the series went, and it's just going to flow. Like It's it's just going to change on a game-to-game basis, and the, the bottom line is that while Durant was really, really good still, they weren't able to get him in the rotation as consistently in terms of getting him on the ball in the situations where they want him to and getting him involved in the play, and it just wound up having to be Booker more often than not in the last series, and I think that the matchups kind of dictated to that too because L.A.'s physicality, it was firmly a game plan centered around Durant and just beating him up as much as possible, getting him off the ball and stuff like that. And Denver is not as physical of a team as the Clippers. They don't have as many. Like, they're not able to switch through eight or nine defenses in one half of basketball in, in the way that L.A. was able to. Like, no other team is really going to be able to do that. So I do think that with what Durant had to deal with and what the Suns had to deal with and implementing him still and getting used to him being around there, I think that the the series going forward are going to be easier for him specifically. So I do think it's going to change by the series. And and basically what I'm getting at here is that I think Durant is going to have like a monster series. I think that he's really going to be whatever, but the Batman Robin thing, I think he's going to be the Batman in the series. And I think they need him to be, because if they ask Booker to carry them for two straight uh, series, and then they somehow get by the nuggets still, he, there's no way he's not worn out by by the end run of that. And then that's where you run into trouble again. So uh, they can't let that happen. They got to get Durant going a bit more. All right, Kellen, thanks for the insights. Enjoy game one of this series, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? 
Yep, thanks, guys. All right, Kellen Olson, our son's guru at Arizona Sports, live from Denver leading up to game one tonight. Uh, I love what he said right there at the end. I think it fully encapsulates a lot of how I feel about this series is that you've relied so much upon the top end of the roster, Booker, Durant, on some level, Aiton and Paul as well. And if they continue to ride Devin Booker like this, it'll be it'll be legendary. It, it on that one front, it will be unbelievable to witness. But it also makes you wonder about what they'll have left in the tank going forward. And if there's any time to do it with Book, it's now. He's 26. He's entering his prime. Yeah. And you do have Durant there waiting in the wings. So if it's on Booker to take over until Durant's a little bit more settled, then you're looking at a Kevin Durant third round finals time for him to step up, and that's why you trade for him. So it could all work out in the long run anyway. All right, coming up next, uh, wait wait a minute. After all the rumors and the drama, is DeAndre Hopkins actually staying a Cardinal this season? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, I, I don't I don't foresee that happening. Um, you know, I, I don't know what is going to happen here in the next couple of days. Um, right now, I don't foresee I don't foresee that happening. No. Arizona Cardinals general manager Monty Awesomefort basically saying we don't see a trade for DeAndre Hopkins happening in the next couple of days. He said there he actually went further and said he doesn't see it happening during the draft at all. When you said you don't foresee anything happening with DeAndre, are you saying tonight or just through the entire draft? Uh, through the entire draft, yeah. And that came right after the first round. So to to be yeah. fair, there was some expectation that if Hopkins was going to be traded for compensation, it would be probably the second round. Very hopeful fans were maybe saying, oh, you can get a first for Hopkins. That really wasn't going to happen. But He's like, okay, no, that's not going to happen during the whole draft. The draft is currently going on. Cardinals have picked about five players. But this feels like a little bit of hardball from me or from from Austin Fort. Because, well, yes, I don't think that they're going to be looking to trade D-Hop right now because of the draft. Maybe because they weren't getting the package that they were looking for. I still think DeAndre Hopkins is on the market. I I don't think that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be... Uh, a mainstay, somebody that the Cardinals are planning on building around going forward. I can understand that it's probably difficult to get the package you want in this year's draft. Monty Awesomefort ultimately didn't have a ton of time after taking the job to get something done before the draft. There was enough time, but probably not a lot that he would have loved to negotiate those. And how many teams are really looking to move off of picks in this year's draft for players? It doesn't happen all that often. Today, we saw DeAndre Swift, the running back from the Lions, get traded to the Eagles. Uh, But even that, it's not the sexiest pick, and it's not DeAndre Hopkins, quite frankly. And I don't think that you were going to get quite the package that they were hoping for. But here's what I fear. That they hold on to Hopkins throughout the rest of the draft, which will likely happen because I can't see him getting traded in the fifth or sixth round uh, or seventh round. What they're probably going to have to do is trade him between now and the start of the season and get picks in next year's draft. And everyone's going to be disappointed by that because that's a full year away. We're not even done with this draft yet, and we're already talking about moving him for picks next year. Yeah, I'm... I'm not too out on that, though. They've already definitely shown that they're having an eye on future drafts with all of these trade backs and that they've done. 
They've acquired picks for next year as well, a first and a third round and pick. And I love that. And that's and that's great. And now with Hopkins, what you're looking at is one of the best receivers of all time is on your team. And the value, however you want to say, is at its lowest for him. And while you didn't give up that much to get him, you probably can't convince yourself, all right, late round draft compensation in exchange for one of the best wide receivers ever. Stop looking at his age. Stop looking at his contract. When he's on the field, he still produces at one of the highest levels on the field. He did it last season, too. Uh, the problem with that, not that I disagree with you that he's uber talented. He clearly still is. He only played in half the games he was available for. Right. And that's <sighs> whether it was injuries or the suspension that we've talked about as ad nauseum. The fact is, he just wasn't available nearly as much as he would have liked. In an ideal world, DeAndre Hopkins would not be on this roster in a year that a lot are pointing towards as a rebuild because you want to take that value of somebody who's who's there to help you win football games. You don't trade for DeAndre Hopkins to be in the top five of the draft. That's not how it usually goes. Yeah. So now you're looking at the the risk reward of moving somebody for undervaluing what he actually is just to move him or holding on to him and saying hey can we raise his value a little bit and that's what i think will happen i don't know if he's going to get traded this off season because right now most teams are fully healthy most teams just drafted a wide receiver if they were in need of one, so they're going to talk themselves into it, whether you're the Ravens with Zay Flowers or even you're the Kansas City Chiefs with Rasheed Rice. Like, you're going to talk yourself into that guy now. Let's look six weeks into the season and look around at the Bills. Look around at the Chiefs, at the Ravens. They might still be that one piece away from truly cementing themselves as contenders. And that is when your patience with DeAndre Hopkins pays off. The problem is if you hold on to DeAndre Hopkins into the season, are you going to just sit him at home? Are you going to let him not practice whenever he doesn't want to practice and just show up on game days for whoever's playing quarterback? Or do you play him? Or do you play him? And I don't even know if he wants to play for the Cardinals. Exactly. Again. And in a rebuild where Austin Fort and Gannon have been very upfront in the type of players they want, players that are bought in, good football guys on and off the field. And I'm not saying Hopkins isn't that, but what I'm saying is when you get somebody that talent level, he can kind of control his level of participation. Whether you like it or not, that's just what happens in sports. And do you want... This guy that your young receivers and most of the people playing football have idolized because he's been around doing it for a long time, being an active distraction. That's the risk in holding on for a greater reward for a team that's maybe desperate a couple weeks halfway through the season. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I do still think that you need to trade DeAndre Hopkins if you're rebuilding this team the way that I think they're going to have to rebuild this team. Like like you talked about, moving back a couple of times in the draft, acquiring assets for next year's draft as well. I love that. I think they're going to have to do more of that, whether it's trading Hopkins or, God forbid, Buda Baker needs to be traded. That's a different conversation. I, I realize, but they're kind of similar in that you're hoping to get future well, draft right. capital they're, for them. They're big names that are... right more or less asking to get out. Now, Hopkins has been a little bit more out there and blatant with it, but let's not pretend like Buda Baker didn't tweet out a gif and basically have a public trade request either. The He's Buddha, being more and more vocal. Right, and the Buda situation feels a little bit more manageable because if it is just money, and I've said this on, on Cardinals Corner, a Cardinals podcast that I do with Tyler Drake, our Cardinals reporter, if it's just a money problem, pay the man. Because one, 
Buddha's not asking for something that Buddha hasn't earned. He deserves to be one of, if not the highest paid safeties in the NFL. When you have Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austin for it taking over this organization, who do they point to as somebody that they want to emulate? Buda Baker. You have hard knocks. Who's the story? Who's the heart of the team? Who's playing through injury? Buda Baker. He's not asking for something he hasn't earned. So that's one. Two, if he's fine being here through a rebuild, which at least this next year looks like it, it could go beyond that, but these things tend to change fast. If he's fine being a mentor for these young guys and being somebody that can keep the morale up, he deserves a little extra money for that. Because you can force your way out of a situation. I don't know if Buddha's there. I feel like Hop is. But I think Buddha wants to be respected. He wants to be well taken care of. And he felt like he was only going to get that going public. Hopefully now you could take it private, take care of him, have him stick around. Because I don't think I'm speaking out of pocket when I say that Cardinals fans would much rather the team hold on to Baker than they would Hopkins. Not saying one's a better player than the other, but talking about ties to the Valley and talking about impact on the team, it's Buddha. Well, and I agree with you. It's a more tenable situation. If money can solve the problem, then it's not a huge problem because as we currently stand, uh, the Cardinals are listed as fifth in cap space in the entire league. After they sign the rookie class, they're estimated to have roughly $14 million in cap space. I think that's more than enough to give him a payday. And also go out and maybe acquire. I, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but maybe you still go and get uh, a center, a serviceable right. center for this offensive line. That's one of the clearest holes. Uh, an interior defensive lineman. If that's not something that they address here in the draft in the next couple of rounds, I, I do think that if it's just about money, Buda Baker's probably the easier one to solve than it, the Hopkins deal. Hopkins may already be untenable. It might not be salvageable at all at this point. Is there? Any percentage chance that you could have both Buda Baker and DeAndre Hopkins back next season and things go better than expected? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think that they're like to have a happy DeAndre Hopkins willingly participate in this entire Cardinal season. It, I don't think that's ever going to happen. What if, again, spitballing, just out of the blue? What if Kyler Murray, by some miracle, finds a way to be healthy and is. And we know ahead of time, Kyler Murray is going to be ready for week one. And you've got a full season of Kyler. You've got a newly added uh, offensive lineman in Paris Johnson who can help out along the line. They've added a couple key defensive pieces. Jonathan Gannon's a defensive-minded coach, so that'll probably please Buddha on some level. If everything were to go right, is there a scenario where both of them could be back and the Cardinals could be, quote-unquote, whole again? I just... Okay, what? I'll give you a percent, right? I guess there's a chance. That's but what I, I asked for. But but I think that if if there was a reality where the Cardinals could get to a point that DeAndre Hopkins would feel comfortable being here, I don't think all of this would be happening. I don't think he has the confidence in it to where even if, let's say we live in a world where Kyler Murray is healthy week one, which just, he might be healthy to the point where he can practice. He will certainly not be playing week one. I I really don't think that's going to happen. It would happen. have to be a miraculous exactly. recovery. Exactly. So if things were a different. A Russell Wilson-like recovery. <laughs> if, if things were different, then things would be different, right? If, right. If, if the Cardinals were fully healthy and Hopkins could be bought in because of Kyler Murray, then sure, yeah, he'll he'll be there week one and they could be a decent football team. But I just, I don't think that that's a reality when you're already sitting here Seeing DeAndre Hopkins basically post on social media every other day that he'd rather be anywhere else.
Uh, part of the difficulty here, too, that you got to keep in mind is what other team has the cap space to take on a guy like Hopkins? Unless you're moving off of some big salary and sending it back to Arizona, but those tr- types of trades just don't happen in the NFL a lot. Right now, the top teams with cap space, the Bears have $30 million in cap space. I don't think he would want to play for the Bears. The Panthers, don't think he would want to play for the Panthers all that much. The Lions, the Colts, the Cardinals, the Eagles have thirteen million dollars oh, in cap geez. space. Could you? That would be so scary if they could move some guys into like roster bonuses instead of salary. And he might restructure too. Like that's I don't think yeah, that's, that's off true. the table. That's true too. So I, listen, I don't think the Hopkins thing is over either. I do think that they'll find a trade partner eventually. But as of right now, he and Buda Baker are both Cardinals, and Monty Austinford has been very clear: we can keep these guys for a little bit. They're not tied to any one outcome. All right, coming up next, we'll tell you why this is the most interesting series that the Suns have played since their run in the bubble during the pandemic. That's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday.